everybody and uh, thank you very much for inviting me here today and I just want to reiterate what a fantastic time we had yesterday at the men's breakfast. I think there were about uh, quite a lot of people there who hadn't given their lives to Christ and by the end of that morning they'd all had. So we just praise God for that, for what God did uh, during that excellent breakfast time which was organised by Simon and other people but we're very grateful to God. That's the, give God all the glory and praise for that because um, I found it very difficult to sleep last night over the excitement more than anything else. So we're talking about not being able to sleep. I couldn't sleep because I was, my mind was going round and round and I was very excited and very pleased with what happened. But this morning I want to concentrate and I want to take you to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 beginning at the first verse. And it's the parable of the persistent widow. The parable of the persistent widow. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, Grant me justice against my opponent. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, and listen to the, what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? We're not very good at perseverance. They say that people get really impatient if it takes more than eight seconds for our computers to light up. People cannot listen to debates or reasonings for long periods of time. Kindles are sold because they turn pages quicker than the actual book. Everything must be instant and constantly changing. I was in, uh, sitting in my office in Bristol Prison uh, some years ago in an afternoon and the phone rang and I picked up the phone. I said, chaplain, and a lady at the end of the phone said, that is the chaplain, isn't it? I said, it is indeed. She said, this is Mrs. Atcroft. She says, you know my son, Michael? I said, no, I don't. She said, you must know him, she said. He's always in the prison, she said. He's always there. He's a great big man with tattoos. I said, Mrs. Atcroft, I said, I've got 800 prisoners in here. A lot of them have big men with tattoos. I don't know Michael. Oh, she said, I want you to go and see him. I said, why do you want me to see him? She said, I want you to get him converted. I said, well, tell me about him. She said, well, the thing was, she said, I've been praying for him for 28 years. And I keep praying. And even last night, she said, I was at a prayer meeting in my local church and we were praying for Michael. And he just got worse and worse and he joined the Hell's Angels and he's in for a very, very serious crimes and everything else. He's a very violent man, she said. But I want you to go and get him converted. So I said, Mrs. Atcroft, I said, first let me check up to see that he's in our prison. Oh, he's in your prison, she said. I said, I believe you. I said, I've just got to see where he is. 
She said, well, how long will that take? I said, well, just take me a few minutes, I said. I've got to put the computer on. And a few minutes later, she said, have you done it yet? I said, Mrs. Atcroft, I said, just give me your, uh, your telephone number and I promise you I will ring you back as soon as I can, as soon as I find out where he is. She said, you will ring me back, won't you? I said, I will indeed. She said, you will ring me back straight away, won't you? I said, I will indeed. Just put the phone down now. <laughs> so I put the phone down, I looked up, and yes, indeed, we did have Michael. And he was in the hospital wing of the prison. So I rang her back and I said, I will go and see him as soon as... He said, he will go and see him as soon as possible. I said, I will, I will come back to you whenever I can. Now consider this impatient viewpoint with the messages about Christianity. We're told to be still and wait for God. We need to attune ourselves to God when you're praying. Make sure you're in a set mind and you're ready to pray to God. Lift others to God's presence. That's very important indeed, especially if you're praying for somebody. Adore. Yes, don't forget to praise God and confess. You don't want anything to block the way of your prayers. And then lastly, ask again and again. Now this sounds like hard work. And prayer is hard work. It's tough. When you do your prayers in the morning, if you do them in the morning, I guarantee you will get an interruption. You have to get up very early in the morning and even then you'll get in, I get interrupted. You'll always get interruptions during the prayer. The devil does not want you to pray. Jesus said, take up your cross daily. Daily, it's a daily task. Now I worked in uh, different prisons and I did a year in Belmarsh Prison as a deputy chaplain. And then I was moved to Lewis Prison in Sussex and I'd been there three days and some ladies came to me and uh, came in the prison. They said, we are part of prison fellowship. We've been praying for this prison for a number of years. And uh, we're having a prayer meeting on Thursday, and today's and Monday, and we'd like you to come. So I said, well, I'd like to come. She said, you'll be there on Thursday then. I said, I will indeed. They gave me their dress on Thursday evening came, and I went down, and there was a group of seven or eight ladies. And... Uh, having introduced ourselves and they started praying and after a few moments I noticed there was a lady in the corner who was really crying her eyes out. So I said, well, I'm going to have to stop the prayer. I said, I, I need to talk to this lady to find out why she's crying. So she told me, she said, the thing is, she said, my son Alan, she said, is 18 years old. She said, I've prayed for him since the time he was born. I prayed him at night when he was asleep. I prayed for him during the day. I prayed for him during the week. I prayed for him all the time. I've constantly prayed for this boy to come to Christ, to give his life to Christ. And he just got worse and worse and worse. And now he's ended up in prison. And I said, Why are you crying? She said, I'm not leaving this seat tonight. She said, until I get an answer from God to say why he has not answered my prayer. She said, I'm determined I'm going to sit here until I get an answer. So I said, your son's name's Alan, is that right? She said, yes. I said, can you give me a surname? So she gave me a surname and I brought out my little notebook I had and she confirmed his prison number because every prisoner gets a number. And she said, do you know him? 
I said he gave his life to Christ at quarter past nine this morning. Praise God for that. Praise God for what God done. Never ever tackle God and think you've got the better of him. I assure you, God's always got the ultimate answer. And the place rejoiced. Jesus told stories to help us understand, like this story of the, pers the persistent widow. She wanted help against a wrongdoer and turned to a judge in this case. Now, there was one judge, a Roman one, because if it had been a Jewish one, they always acted in threes. There were always three judges in the Jewish courts, but one when the Romans, and don't forget the Romans were in charge when Jesus was on earth. Where there were three judges, one was chosen by the plaintiff, one was chosen by the defendant, and one was chosen independently appointed. Now this soul, and therefore Roman judge, does not want to be disturbed. This is in our story. But the woman keeps on knocking. Keeps on asking the judge who was a person who was used to taking bribes and is under immense pressure. And he began to waver and so gave in and spoke to the woman and gave her the judgment she wanted. And we are similarly encouraged to be persistent in our prayers. Now, we're not comparing God with a capricious judge. Of course not. No, we are supposed to reason. If this unprincipled judge can be persuaded by a persistent widow, how much more will a loving God respond to us? People forget that Jesus shows his humor in stories. He used irony that captures our imagination. All good storytellers do. If you give a story, it captures people's imagination about what's going on. Now, there's a lesson for those who spread the gospel to do that. It's quite straightforward, taking all your needs to God and carry on in prayer consistently and persistently. God will answer. He always answers every prayer. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, and sometimes he says, wait. Oh, we hate the waiting one. We don't like that. I don't like that many times. I left, uh, trained in Oxford um, and to go into the Church of England. And when you finish training, you go in as a curate, like a trainee vicar, and I was sent to the Isle of Wight. But before I went, when I left the, the college, I felt the Lord speak to me directly. And in 2 Timothy 4, you can read it, it says, Do the work of an evangelist that's the calling I had and it was so clear I said Lord I said you want me to be an evangelist I want you to be an evangelist so I said great so I went down to my curacy my trainee vicar time down in the Isle of Wight and for three years I've never been so bored in my life I did absolutely nothing to do with evangelism and I thought well I must have got the call wrong what's happening for three years I waited I said Lord I said you called me to be an evangelist but nothing's happened I've got nobody to witness to or if I have I don't know what to say to them so God introduced me to the prisons and I went to a prison in the Isle of Wight at that time. It was Parkhurst Prison. And I met the chaplain there and I spoke to him. 
And uh, I didn't do anything in the prison, but he just recommended me to go forward into the prison ministry. And I had to go through in a lot of interviews and stuff, and I ended up in the prison ministry. And I ended up in, started off in Belmarsh Prison, then went to Lewis Prison, then back up to Belmarsh Prison, and then on to Bristol Prison as well. You see, we have to go on interceding, trusting God, being faithful, when we have to wait for the answer to our prayers. And it's not an attitude that's very much appreciated by society outside. The people don't like waiting for things. Do you know, and over the years, I've seen thousands upon thousands of prisoners come to Christ. It's so encouraging. They used to come forward in droves in, in, the, in the chapel services. They used to run forward. And people used to say to me, what happens when they get out? Do they keep on in their lives of Christian lives? People are always asking me that question. Well, let me tell you this story. There was a man in Lewis Prison by the name of Kenny Jones. Now, if you were in the criminal fraternity and you lived in Hastings or Brighton or Worthing or Eastbourne or anywhere along the south coast and you were in that sort of area of crime and so forth, you knew Kenny Jones. And you also knew you kept away from him. He was the godfather. He was the one, the main man. And one day, Kenny Jones was put into Lewis Prison. And one day in the service, he came forward to accept Christ. And nobody could believe it. Officers who knew him for years said, I didn't believe it, he'll never last. Prisoners knew it. Nobody could understand why he'd done it except Kenny. He was a tough nut, and he'd come to Christ. And then I left Lewis and went to Belmarsh, and I didn't hear anything from Kenny Jones. And then I moved from Belmarsh after a number of years and put me in Bristol, and I was there for, a few, for quite a few years. And after about four years at Bristol, I was sitting in my office, and the phone rang, and I picked up the phone, and I said, this is the chaplain, and the man at the end of the phone said, is that David Powell? I said, yes. He said, is that the David Powell from Lewis Prison? I said, about 15, 16 years ago. That's right. He said, this is Kenny Jones. I said, not the Kenny Jones from Lewis Prison. I said, are you ringing from a mobile Kenny? Thinking he might have been stuck in the prison still? No, he said. I was released after you left, he said. And you went, back, you went on to Belmarsh, he said. And now I'm living up north. I've got a family with two children, he said. I've you know, I'm doing great things and working with disabled people. And so I said, fantastic, Kenny. I said, why are you ringing me? He said, I want to make sure you're still going on with the Lord, David. <laughs> he was checking up on me. It's great, isn't it, when the prisoner checks up on the vicar. And then he put the phone down. I haven't heard from him since. The next time I'll see him will be in heaven. St. Francis of Assisi said, he who has to learn to wait has learnt all. What are you praying about this morning? What, what, at the moment, what exactly are you praying about? How long have you been praying? How much have you sought God's will about it? Do you know there was a famous evangelist who prayed for 100 people? 100 people he knew, and he had a list of names. Now, I've got a list of names at home. I've got 100 people. I've got a list of names at home, and I pray for them daily of people I want to come to Christ, want to give their lives to God, want them to get them saved. And he had 100 people. And at his death, 97 had given their lives to Christ. 
97 have given their lives to Christ. But God is always 100%. And at his funeral, the last three came. He didn't know about it. He probably knows about it now, but he didn't know it then. You see, we may not see the results of our prayers. That's very important. Many people in the prison who've given their lives to God, I said, who has been praying for you? I said, oh, my grandmother, my father, my mother, my sister, my brother, whatever it is, some relative, has been praying years and years and years for me. And I said, where are they now? They said, they've gone to heaven. I said, well, now you've given your life to Christ, you'll see them again when you go up there. You see, we don't see, may not see the results of our prayers. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, they're talking about Enoch and Noah and Abraham. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. You may not see the results of all your prayers. I went to a, a church last year. In, uh, so I go around so many different churches and I went to this little church and uh, after the service, we had a cup of coffee, and I was sitting down having a cup of coffee, and a lady came up to me, and she said, excuse me, she said, but can I have a word with you? I said, yes, certainly. She said, I've been coming to this church, she said, for months, and I'd like to become a Christian, but I don't know how to. So I said, well, I'll lead you in a simple prayer. And it's a simple prayer I've done with thousands of people I said I want you to say turn to God and say sorry to God she says I'm sorry God I said I then want you to ask for Jesus to come and take over your life she said Jesus take over my life and with that I laid hands on her and she was filled with the Holy Spirit and she turned around to me and she said will you do the same for my husband I said I will she said the thing is my husband's only got a couple of weeks to live very sick so I said well if he's only got a couple of weeks I said today's Sunday I'll come and see him tomorrow he said would you mind coming to my house tomorrow he can't get out at all I said well I appreciate that so I went round to our flat the next day and went into the room and there's this man Ron sitting there with all these tubes and other things and equipment all around him he was obviously very seriously ill and he could just about speak and he looked at me and I introduced myself. I said, I'm David the vicar. And he turned around to me and he said, David, he said, I believe in God. I said, that's a good start. I said, but you've got to realize the devil believes in God. That's not enough. He said, I've always believed in God. I said, I know. I said, but I want to make sure you're going to go to heaven. Jesus said, you must be born again. He said, what does that mean? So I explained him very briefly about Jesus. And then with his croaky voice, he accepted Christ. And you know that man died three days later. I saw his wife just a couple of months ago, and she said she's now joined the church more and got involved in the Bible groups and things like that, and she can't stop praising God the fact her husband was saved at the last minute. Do you remember Mrs. Atcroft? the one at the beginning of the talk when I went to see Michael in healthcare and I promised Mrs. Atcroft I'd bring her back. Well, I rang her back. I said, Mrs. Atcroft, I said, I found Michael. He's in the healthcare. He's in the hospital wing. 
She said, are you going to see him? I said, I will. She said, are you going to see him now? And she went on and on and on. And I put the phone down. I said, I'll ring you back. And I thought, I better go and see him because she'll never leave me alone. So I went down to the hospital wing and it's a long corridor. And at the end of the corridor, the door of the cell was open and there was a very big man with heavily tattooed standing there. And he had his left arm out and a nurse was standing there, and you could see that the blood was all, a blood was all over the floor of the cell. He'd cut his arm open. A lot of people do that in the prison. They cut themselves to let out the bad blood, they tell me, and all sorts of things. And he'd just been finished bandaging up. And he looked at me, and he looked down again, and the nurse turned on him and said, he's all yours, vicar. And she walked out, and there was... Michael standing there. I'd never met him before. And I said, Michael, he said, what do you want, vicar? So I said, it's not what I want, it's what God wants. He said, what does God want? I said, God wants you to give your life to him. And not only that, I said, your mother's been praying for years and years and years for you. And quite frankly, I'm fed up with your mother. He said, she does go on a bit. I said, you're dead right, she does. She never stops. I said, I can't stand it any longer. I said, get down your hands and knees and accept Christ. So he did. He went straight down in the blood on the, on the, on the floor. I said, put your hands together, Michael. And he put his hands together and he confessed Christ and was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he looked up, and when we cleaned up the cell, I said, right, Michael, I said, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take you across to my office, and you are going to speak to your mother and tell her that you've become a Christian. He says, I look forward to that. So we got him cleaned up. Half an hour later, I took him back, and I rang up, dialed the number for him, handed him over the phone. I said, you speak to your mother. So the Mrs. Atcroft answered the phone. She said, Mum... It's Michael, wait, he says, don't interrupt. He says, I've got something really important to tell you. And eventually she kept quiet after a few moments and then he said, Mum, he said, I've become a Christian. I'm with the vicar and I've become a Christian. And do you know what she said? I don't believe it. (laughs) Do you know, this is what happens to us, isn't it? We pray for years and years and years. He's been 28 years God answers our prayers and then we go and argue about it. I can't understand it. She said, I don't believe it. She said, well, talk to the vicar. She said, he'll confirm it. So I said, Mrs. Atcroft, it's true. Michael has given his life to Christ. And she still didn't believe it. And then day after day, he used to ring her up with his phone credit thing, his card phone, and say, Mum, he said... I've been reading the Palms. It, it doesn't matter he calls it the Palms, does it? I mean, I call it the, we call it the Psalms, he calls it... I've been reading the Palms, Mum. I'm going to read this prayer out to you. Do you know you get many people who call things the wrong name? It doesn't worry me. I mean, you get people coming to me in the prison who say, I've read the whole book of Job. I said, well, that's very good. I'm pleased you have. He said, I'm also reading about Moses and a fairy. I said, well, I think it's Pharaoh, but don't worry about it, you know. And then you get somebody else coming up and said, oh, I want the book of Revolution. <laughs> I said, I think you probably mean Revelation, but it doesn't matter. You know, you know, they want to call it Revolution, let them do it. 
And that man, Michael, became a great witness for Christ. Because being such an important prisoner in prisoner terms, he was able to command such a respect from other prisoners. And they used to queue up out of his cell and come in to Michael for advice. And his advice was, let's have a prayer. And it, was, it brought tears to my eyes to witness what was happening. Officers couldn't believe it. He even got officers to sign his Bibles for him. You know, he had so many Bibles in his, in his cell and things like that. And it's so encouraging that, isn't it, when you hear great stories like that with people like Michael. These questions are about persistence, are for you and for me with our journey for God and with God. Will you wait and trust in him? It's well worth it. God will answer praise his name now if you've got a a special prayer that you want an answer to and you want me to pray i'll pray with you to get an answer if you don't feel as if god's being slow or it is for your mind god's never slow but we might think he is sometimes then come forward and i'll pray with you doesn't matter what it is i pray for so many different things for so many different people and so forth you come forward for prayer because i'll be happy to pray for you and ask for God's blessing on your prayer or whatever it is, if you want to. You do whatever you want. But remember to be persistent in your prayers. Keep on praying. Remember the story of the persistent widow. Amen.